Okay, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Father, I covet the gift of teaching this morning that I may teach concerning this text about the precious treasure and gift you have delivered to us in this earth once and for all in the Hebrew prophets and the writings of the New Testament apostles. O Holy Spirit, may we really understand how you speak this morning to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 says, But this is the one to whom I, God, will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Last week, we began this three-month series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. This morning, week two, is titled, The Holy Spirit is the Author of Scripture, of this book. And here's the question that should you be settling as we listen intently this morning. Is, do you want to be influenced by God the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay, I'm going to make a statement. To the extent you are being filled with the Holy Spirit, notwithstanding what many people in the church may say about feelings, to the extent you want to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, and you are being influenced by Him to that extent, to that extent you will be trembling with joy and seriousness over this book and the words of this book. In the present day church world, there's the idea out there that the Holy Spirit moves and, and works and anoints preachers to preach disconnected from the contents of the Bible, of what is actually saying in particular context. The church is filled with people who think the Holy Spirit moves 
separated from the Bible and what it teaches. And they're well-meaning. And that, for Christ's sake, and for people who are dying and going to face Judgment Day's sake, that needs to stop. This treasure right here, we call it the Bible, the Word of God, over the centuries, that Word has come and eternally changed the destiny of untold ten millions and millions of people. I'm going to say the same thing. Change the words. Over the centuries, God the Holy Spirit has come and changed the eternal destiny of sinners by speaking to them through the Word, through His Word, through their reading those words in the Bible or hearing those biblical words preached or explained, God the Holy Spirit is applying the salvation that Christ wrought. And He does it by speaking. The words that He delivered to us once and for all in Holy Scripture. Whether it's a guy named Aurelius Augustine In the backyard in Milan, Italy, in, oh, when was that? 379, 380 AD. Struggling with, talking to a pastor and all that. Really smart guy. One of the foundational thinkers, philosophers, and theologians of Western civilization. But he hears, pick up, and it referred to the book of Romans. And read. And he did. And his conversion happened. Whether it's in 1500s, Martin Luther, a monk, struggling, struggling, they finally let him get his Ph.D., he gets his Ph.D., he's a teacher in the university, he gets to, to read the New Testament, its original language, and he's struggling with Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The just shall live by faith. How does that fit with anything I'm taught? And he pounded on Paul and the words on the page. And the great reformation happened. There is power, life-changing, eternal, destiny-changing power in the contents of the Bible. So let's go back to our text here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay, you still there? Notice why what I have just said here now in this introduction is true. Verse 21, Peter writes, For no prophecy, and we're going to see in the context, I'm going to come back to this text and look at the larger context later. He means the scripture that is written. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what Peter clearly says here is that when you're reading the book of Romans, 
or the book of Exodus, it is not, got to hear me clearly, it's not just the words of men, but it is also the very Word of God. The third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit. In this book, we call the Bible, it's really a compilation of 66 books or separate writings. And there are different kinds of writings. There's historical, there's law, there's poetry, there's songs, there are epistles, straightforward letters from the authority of the apostles. And in those writings, those human agents used and wrote in not some heavenly language, but whatever language was their language and they understood. And they used their own particular nuances of their own personality that God created. Their vocabularies, like Paul's vocabulary is a little bit different than Peter's. Structure of sentences and the way they, one may do that, like any author today, were, were different from Peter or James and Paul because they're different human beings. And when they write in these books of the Bible, they are set in particular historical time periods. And they're writing in that particular context and over particular or specific things happening in the world or in the church. And through those words, whether it's the book of Jeremiah or the book of Philippians or the book of James, the human authors intend to communicate meaning via the words they are choosing. Okay, you with me? Don't miss this when we talk about this being the Word of God or the Holy Spirit. They intend a particular meaning. And when we read now what they wrote, and two things can happen. We either get it, it means we have correctly understood the meaning that James intended by the words, or we misinterpret it. But when we get it, that is, that meaning through the words that he meant, that is the Word of God. Because that now, okay, what I just said there about the human aspect of the Word, Peter assumes that. He's assuming it when he's writing what we just read. Okay, so he assumes that part. But now watch. What he says here in this text is that there is another dimension to the Scripture that was happening. Look at it. Right there in verse 21. These human authors, they spoke from God. In other words, ultimately, behind everything I just said, human context, human language, language conventions... Ultimately, behind the scenes, their words are providentially controlled by God. So, so yes, open up the New Testament. Paul's got 13 epistles there. Yes, those are Paul's words. 
Just like your words are your words. They are Paul's words. But in some mysterious way, those words have been providentially and sovereignly controlled by God. They have been inspired or breathed out, superintended by God, the Holy Spirit. So, when we carefully, for example, read one of Paul's letters called the letter to the Galatians, a bunch of churches in a whole region called Galatia. When we carefully read Paul, paying attention to the historical context, to the words, to the grammar, to the syntax, putting words together, forming meaning. When we pay close attention to that, and we come to grips with, that's what he means, and we're correct. That meaning is God's Word. It is God the Holy Spirit's communication to us. And not only does Peter say in this text, they spoke from God, but he adds, how? As they were born along or carried along by the Holy Spirit. That work of the Holy Spirit, it's what we're talking about for these number of months in this series. This work of the Holy Spirit does not mean that God speaks to David or Jeremiah or Peter or Paul and He gives them the truth that God Himself wants to reveal and then He stands back crossing His fingers and gosh, I hope they don't screw it up now. I hope they record it correctly. That's not... That's not what's happening here in the Holy Spirit authoring the Bible. But in the very recording of what we have in the Bible, they were carried, borne along by the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit who is God. And when the Holy Spirit does this, in His doing this, He did not bypass humanity culture. He didn't bypass human languages and every language has different nuances to its language conventions that conveys meaning. He did not bypass that. He spoke through it. He didn't bypass historical situations or even the human emotions of the authors or writers or speakers. In all of that very human stuff we call human beings communicating in particular languages. In it all, the Holy Spirit was sovereign and in absolute control. As Peter says, they were carried along. Now, when the Holy Spirit does that, I don't think he's messed up. I don't think he's ever erred. In, in the history of the church, when the doctrine of the infallibility 
unable to err, and that it is in error. The infallibility and inerrancy of the original autographs of the Bible writers. When that doctrine is denied, ultimately all the central doctrines of the gospel fall. That's why in this church, those of us who have become members of this church, we sign off. We agree with our statement of faith. And this part of the statement of faith, quote, We believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God equally in all parts and without error in its original manuscripts. Absolutely infallible and our source of supreme revelation from God. Superior to conscience and reason though not contrary to reason. And it is therefore our infallible rule of faith and practice. Now, to say that the Holy Spirit is the author of this book or all 66 books does not mean, look, God took His God finger and scratched in heaven on pieces of paper the Word of God and then dropped it to earth. And we all go, whoa, look at that, we got the Bible. That's not what happened. It's not how He did it. But the Bible comes through the agency of men. Of men whom God had preordained. See, if, theoretically, one of those agents is given language and culture in which he lived, the language was English, he would have written in English. But, but it just happens that in the writing of the, 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 the Hebrew people and the Hebrew prophets and the historical accounts, etc., that the language of the Jews was Hebrew. And so the Old Testament, almost all of it, 99.99% of it, except for a little part of Aramaic, close to Hebrew, is written in Hebrew. And in the New Testament, in the Roman Empire... Because of Alexander the Great, a few hundred years earlier, Greek was the main spoken language in the New Testament. Every part of it is originally written in Greek, in that language. And it's written, as I said, if Paul's Paul, it's written in Paul, the way he speaks. And James or Peter, the way they speak. Luke, as we are working our way through Luke in this church, written the way Dr. Luke, as a very close associate of the apostles, as he would write. So let me try to now, give an example, try to unfold slowly. Am I going slow enough? Okay, all right. What I mean, we just, we use, let's use Paul's epistle to the Galatians as an example. Because... We're saying, not only is it Paul, but, but this is the inspired, infallible Word of God. It is the Word of God. As we read Galatians, what does that mean? Well, let me say what it doesn't mean first. Here's Galatians. Paul wrote that. By inspiration, we do not mean that God put Paul in a trance and then used his body in his hand and just started writing and God wrote through him like that. We don't mean that. We don't mean automatic writing like in the occult. Okay. Nor do we mean Paul's sitting in a room and then God goes, Paul! And Paul goes, what? Okay. Get a pen. Okay, I got a pen. Okay, what? I want you to write what I tell you. Okay. Okay. All right. 
All right, go ahead, God. All right, ready? Write this. You foolish Galatians. Okay, you foolish Galatians. Okay, okay, what next? Who bewitched you? Who bewitched you? Okay, that is not how we got the Bible. It's not what it means to be the inspired Word of God. I'll tell you how we got the book of Galatians. That is the inspired Word of God. Paul is an apostle and is a missionary. And with his team, for a number of three, few years, two to three years, went on his first missionary journey through the region of Galatia, city after city, Derby, Lystra, Antioch, Pisidia, etc. And he went there, and, he, and they've never heard the gospel. It's just spreading for the first time. And he's preaching in the synagogues first, and then they usually kick him out and try to beat the heck out of him. And, and, and then some Jews believe, and then, a lot, then he opens it up to the Gentiles, and churches are planted. He's giving them the gospel. He stays, and he teaches for a while, and he gets kicked out of a town, and he moves next. And, so, and then he goes back, before he goes back home, to Antioch of Syria. They go back through and they appoint elders in churches, etc. And there's, okay, they're planting churches. Now, finally that journey's over. You can read it in the book of Acts. He gets back to the city of Antioch, this big church of Jews and Gentiles, Antioch of Syria. I don't know how long, weeks, months to go by. And Paul starts to get word as word trickles back from those cities. And they come back, Paul, God, your nemesis, these Judaizers, it's a term that we get. These, these professing Christian Jews. Paul, they're going to every church that you planted and they're teaching there. And, and they're coming in there. And this is what's happening. And they're saying, you know, Paul, you know, he got the gospel, you know, like, you know, you know from the apostles, etc., in Judea, and he heard it too. But, and he came and preached. And he got a lot of that right about Jesus the Messiah and dying for sins and rising from dead. But, but he was a little. You know, he's just, you know, just a teacher of, and he kind of messed a little bit of it up. He was afraid to tell you the whole truth, Gentile converts, that yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but you can't just stay there. You have to also now keep, add to your faith in Jesus, the Jewish cultural and ceremonial laws written in Moses. Okay, Gentile guys, sorry, but you've got to be ceremonially circumcised. You have to stop eating bacon sandwiches. Anything else Leviticus says you can't eat. You, have to, you cannot just deny and not do that and think you're going to be saved. Okay? Paul hears this. He's in Antioch. He's going to write a letter. And he is fuming. He is so angry on behalf of the gospel half of the salvation of these people. And so he puts pen to paper. And the very first sentence of the body of Galatians starts this way. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him, God, who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. When we read that, whether when the Galatians read it originally, when those letters, and they copied the letters and sent them to all the churches and read them out, when they're hearing it for the first time, and when we hear it 2,000 years later, we are meant by the Holy Spirit to feel the anger. We're meant to feel Paul's passion 
in those words. We're meant to feel the intensity of it. We're meant to feel what he means to communicate, and that is this, that in that little twist of the gospel of Jesus, the gospel itself is at stake. And then Paul goes on to unfold the gospel in the book of Galatians. The gospel of justification by faith alone. Okay, so as he does this now, every human emotion of his that comes through in those words, every word he used, and how he connected word to word called syntax, and made propositions, and how those propositions are related to other propositions and come together in paragraphs and communicate meaning. Everything Paul did there with the Greek language in communicating his meaning, that is the Word of God. That is the crystal clear, unchallengeable, perfect words of the Holy Spirit who is God. That whole situation in Galatia, and Paul having to write that way, was ordained, orchestrated, carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is amazing that there are so many of us professing believers that are bored with the Holy Spirit. We're bored with His words. Scripture. We don't care to read them. And if we do, because I'm a Christian and have a quiet time, we don't care to read them carefully. We have no patience for thinking through expository sermons in the midst of the congregation. It hurts. I don't think that much. But, but if you say to some of us Christians, we're bored with that, but hey... First Friday of the month, we're going to have five hours of music and we'll sway and sing Jesus' songs and be filled with the Spirit. We'll flock. But have someone get up and quote the Apostle Paul. And just for 30 minutes, explain that paragraph. I'm bored. A lot of people who in the name of the Holy Spirit in His infilling are bored with that Holy Spirit and what He actually says. I want to go back now to where we started. I'm going to read the fuller context of 2 Peter chapter 1. And listen to the Holy Spirit speak through the Apostle Start with verse 16. For we, Peter's writing, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you, he's writing general epistles to churches all over the place, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we, the apostles, were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Okay, just slow down. I'm going to go really slow. I don't care if it takes four hours this morning. So, sorry. 
were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We delivered to you the Word of God, the Gospel of God. Now, verse 17. Watch what He says. For when He, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father... Stop for a minute now. Okay, if you've been here, we, for two years, have been in the Gospel of Luke, and we saw the recording of this and what happened. Peter and James and John, the sons of Zebedee. That was it. Just those three guys went with Jesus to a mountain. And Jesus was transfigured. And God spoke audibly. Peter was there. This is what he's referring to. Listen to him. For when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, quote, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Peter says, listen, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. Gosh, if I could only get that, I wouldn't be bored in my Bible reading or hearing sermons. If I could just get that, Watch what Peter says. And we, church, that he's writing to, churches, we have something more solid than God speaking audibly, saying, Jesus is my beloved Son. We have something more sure What, Peter? The prophetic word to which you will do good to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture. Okay, don't... So Peter has just clearly said at this point. I'll finish in a moment. He's not saying, I'm not sure if it was God. He knows it was God. He heard it. He was with Jesus, the God-man. And he saw Him transfigured. And he says, even though that's true, we have something that is more solid, more sure. The Holy Scripture. That which is written. Knowing this, the first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying essentially what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You breathe in. Here's his analogy. We human beings, we breathe in. And he exhale. And he says, okay, 
Here's an analogy. Oh, God. You got Moses? You got Jeremiah? You got the Psalms? He's saying that's what those words are. Ultimate. Now, technically, what Paul meant there in 2 Timothy, in that text, in its context, was what we call the Old Testament. Okay. That's what he's referring to specifically at that point. The Hebrew Bible. What about the New Testament? What about the writings of the apostles and their close associates like Luke or, or Mark? Okay. Listen, I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a moment. Listen to how Paul speaks. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2. And we also thank God constantly for this. Thessalonians, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul is claiming as an apostle that what he taught, what he preached, was equivalent to God's very word. It is his word. Because he's an apostle. That dynamic of apostles as the mouthpiece of God is exactly what Jesus meant, as we saw in the Gospel of Luke, when it's time, he prayed all night, and I'm going to choose out of many disciples, select ones to be my apostles. Apostolos in Greek. Sent ones. Not just a sent one. There's lots of sent ones from us churches, etc., etc. But Jesus' personal ambassadors. Sent out ones. That's what Paul said there. Exactly what Jesus was doing in his ministry. And we'll see in the New Testament there's more than those 12, and then slashed down to 11. When Jesus was speaking to, not, but to his apostles, in John, we saw a little bit last week, John chapter 14 to 16, though, especially when he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit a lot. Listen to what he says in chapter 16 of John, verse 13. I still have many things to say to you guys. But you cannot bear them now. Okay, you know, this is before the cross. He, they, Jesus is just saying, you guys ain't going to be able to handle it. You ain't going to get even what's going to happen. It's going to just whack you out. Okay, we're going to wait till that's done with and over. Right now, you can only handle so much, Peter. Bartholomew. I still have many things I'm going to say to you, but right now, you cannot bear them. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you, Peter, the things that are to come. Now, I know that many of us evangelical Christians read that text and say, Awesome! He's speaking to me! 
But actually, because we tremble at His Word, we want to know the original meaning. We want to know the context and not read into the Bible something it might not be saying. Question. In that text, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to reveal to you. He's going to tell you the things to come. Is Jesus referring to some guy in a purple suit on the Trinity Broadcasting Network who keeps saying, the Holy Spirit just revealed to me? Is that what Jesus in the context is referring to? No. Not only that, I'll tell you what. He is not referring to me directly as a pastor. Joe, go away in your prayer closets and and wait for the Holy Spirit. Close your eyes to speak to you and reveal to you truth that you are to say to the people. It's not what that text is saying. He is referring in its context to His apostles. He's talking to those select ones who have a particular mission in the history of the universe. Like the Old Testament prophets, these ones now, post-Christ, called apostles, sent directly from Jesus, are also on a par with them as revelatory spokespeople. The ones through which God is self-revealing Himself through their words. He's saying in John 16 to these guys, look, after I'm gone, the Holy Spirit is going to come and He's going to bring to you, remember, I know I said a lot to you guys, God Himself, the third person. There's only one God. Remember this last week. But God the Spirit in that economic role, He's going to bring to your remembrance. You were there, Peter, when I spoke. I wasn't with there. He's not bringing to my remembrance. He's bringing to Peter's remembrance. The things that I did and the things that I spoke so that you guys are going to have it down pat. The Holy Spirit's going to come, my apostles, and He will be superintending your ministries. That's what He's saying. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 13, the apostle Paul unfolds what we just read there with Jesus' words. He unfolds how the Holy Spirit delivers the Word of God through the apostles. Start with verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Okay, you can go back and check it out. Listen to me. That word, we, refers to apostles. We impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the ruler of this age who are doomed to pass away. Verse 7, no. But we, not me, the apostles, impart, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. 
which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age has understood this, for if they had, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, quote, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. End quote. These things God has revealed to us. Apostles. Through the Spirit. Now watch him talk about the Holy Spirit for a second. For the Holy Spirit, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, meaning the depths of God's minds, His omniscience. The Holy Spirit is omniscient. He is God. He, he knows everything of who God is being God. For who, he, he gives an answer, For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also... No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Got that? God is truth. Knows all truth. Okay, now, here he goes. Now, verse 12, we, apostles, have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God. It means he has all the knowledge of God. The Spirit who is from God. Why have we received Him as apostles? Listen to it. Look at the in order of that. That, this means the purpose for this, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So there's the apostles. They got the treasure, the gospel. Unbelievable. Remember what he just quoted. You can't imagine what God is really like and what he is really going to do with persons in an enjoyment of himself forever. He just quoted that. Now, he says, all of this we have received as apostles, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised. We have the goods. Now, verse 13. And we, apostles, impart this what, that we have we impart it in words that means in nouns in adjectives in verbs prepositional phrases we impart that treasure the word of God himself delivered in the person of the Holy Spirit himself to us we impart it in words not taught to us by human wisdom but taught by the spirit of God himself Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I'm going to go back through this real quickly one more time because there's a lot of meat on those bones. to show you the structure of what Paul just said. In verse 7 he said, We apostles impart a secret and hidden wisdom. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. And we impart this in words to others. Taught. Not by human wisdom, but by the Spirit of God. So the apostles, the, the personally sent out ones from Jesus Himself, like the Old Testament prophets, they speak, they write, as carried along and taught uniquely. No one is in that role today, nor has been since the end of the first century. Uniquely 
by the Holy Spirit. And when they teach, when they write, it's whatever what they're intending to communicate, when we get an understanding that matches their intention, that is the Word of God. Listen to how Paul spoke about his authority as an apostle. In 2 Corinthians 10a, he writes to them, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, he doesn't mean just teacher authority or pastoral authority, he means as an apostle, of our, there's lots of numbers of apostles going around, our authority which the Lord gave for building you up. And not for destroying you. But if I did do that, I wouldn't be ashamed because he would be absolutely right to do so. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, start with verse 2. He writes, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent. I'm writing this letter to you guys. As I did when I was present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Why? Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. That is a stunning statement. That is a ludicrous statement. Unless it's true. Now, I want you to turn to another passage. Turn back, or if you've ever been there, to the book of Galatians again. And just read slowly. Listen to what Paul is arguing here. Chapter 1 of Galatians, we're going to start with verse 11. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Okay, let me stop for a second. So you get this. The gospel that I, Joe LeMay, preach is man's gospel. You've got to feel that. And I mean that. I did not get it directly from the resurrected, touching appearance of Jesus Himself. I got it from His men. Okay. And you got this is exactly what Paul means here. I'm going to try to show you that in a minute. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel I got is not because, well, Peter and John and those guys taught me it and now I gave it to you. Which would have been fine because that's the gospel. But he says that's not what happened. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel because I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it by them. But I, Paul, this is the proof of his apostleship, but I, Paul, received it through a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, now let me stop for a minute. Some of you may know, some of you may not know Galatians real well. 
Paul's saying that in the first two chapters, he's going to argue for his apostleship. He's forced to, for love's sake, for the sake of the Galatians who may abandon the faith because of these Judaizing teachers. He is forced to show clearly in his historical record that he is not like Joe LeMay, just a mere passer on or teacher of the gospel but that he is an original apostle. That he is an original, revelatory spokesperson on a par with Peter. In James, Jesus' brother, who was also made an apostle later. In John, the son of Zebedee, he says, I am on a par with him. And this is what he argues in the first two chapters. Because the Judaizers, in order to get over their message, what they are saying about Paul is, look, Paul's a Johnny-come-lately. You all know he was trying to stamp out the church. He's not one of the original twelve, which he wasn't. He's not one of those. He was, he was responsible for the murder of Stephen, the first martyr. That's what they're saying. And therefore, later on, okay, he came to Christ and he got the goods and he just kind of, he didn't he got a lot of it right, but <clears throat> he didn't give you the whole truth. He kind of messed it up a little bit. So we're here to correct it. We're from Jerusalem. This is what you guys are saying. We're representing Peter, James, and John in the Jerusalem church. That's what they're saying. Paul's forced to say, just not true. I'm not a Johnny come lately. I'm not a derivative of those apostles. I am equal with and on a par with them. And his argument, as you read it, is essentially this. I have been encountered personally, not merely in a vision, but in the physical resurrection appearance of Jesus himself. And not only that, in those appearances, plural, Jesus himself looked at me and said, Paul, I'm sending you as an apostle to the Gentiles. That's why Paul, in 1 Corinthians, about the resurrection appearances, makes that comment, and finally, to one untimely born, because he knows that his apostleship is an anomaly. <laughs> he didn't walk with Jesus in his earthly ministry. Even after the resurrection, at least for numbers of months, if not a year or two, he hated the gospel. And then on his way to Damascus in order to imprison more of these people who profess Jesus because he is a Jew of Jews and he couldn't stand the message they're doing, Jesus knocked him down. Appeared to him. And then kept appearing to him and made him his own personal apostle. That's why Paul will later write, the church, what's the foundation? It is the person of Jesus Christ. And now on that foundation, the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets of the Old Testament. Just so you might, I'm going to make it really clear. So this word, the way it's being used this morning, the way Paul uses it here, the word apostle has nothing to do with Charisma Magazine advertisement. Apostle so-and-so will be at this convention or something like that. If they wanted to find correctly, well, what we mean by apostle was a sent one, okay, sent out from a church like a missionary, that's terrific. 
We mean in a unique way, as a revelatory spokesperson, this has nothing to do with that. And there are none today. So, who are these apostles? Let me just say, when you look at the New Testament, I said it once, I'm just going to now say it clearly. There is a biblical criteria to be an apostle. At least two main things happen. You have witnessed personally, been encountered post-death bodily by Jesus himself in his resurrection body. But not only that, over 500 people have witnessed Jesus at one time. And so many others have witnessed the resurrection. They're not all apostles. But not only that, but in that encounter, Jesus himself commissioned you as an apostle. Like Peter and like John. Peter, after the resurrection, in his resurrection body, eating fish in the meat, feed my sheep. But Lord, what about John? Peter, just feed my sheep. Same with John, same with the other apostles. That, that I just said there, those two things, read Galatians carefully. That's what Paul argues. He didn't get his gospel derivative from men. He got it straight from Jesus. That's why when he opens up Galatians, he says, now if I change my mind, because what I'm so positive that what I gave you was the Word of God Himself. That if I change my mind and come back to you, He even pushes it. If an angel, not from hell, but if an angel from heaven itself were to come to you and to preach to you something different than what I have already preached to you, let him be eternally damned. And it is why Paul opens up the book of Galatians. His very first sentence is strange. Paul, now you know how it goes, how you open letters back then. You know you knew to Paul, an apostle, to the church, at blah, 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 grace and peace. And he does something really different than he does in all the others because he's angry. And his apostleship, that they've got to understand, we're not, I didn't screw anything up. I'm an apostle. If I said it to you, it is God's word. He says, Paul, an apostle. Then he stops. He says, You're gonna, here I go. I'm going to define it for you guys. Paul, an apostle. Not from men. Nor through an agency of men. But an apostle through Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised him from the dead. The ultimate authority in the church is the Hebrew prophets and the apostolic authority. It's true now. It's true when Paul was alive as an apostle. You know 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14 where he's correcting the misuse of spiritual gifts. And he gets into chapter 14 particularly dealing with a word gift called prophecy in the midst of the congregation where it's supposed to be building people up. And they got it all messed up. And Paul so clearly recognizes the reality that the Holy Spirit uses as broken sinful people 
And he uses us with word gifts and even prophecy. But he radically causes that gift of prophecy to be utterly subservient to his word as an apostle. Or the word of God. The Word of God, that means the infallible, inerrant Word of God coming through the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles, which we now have in the New Testament, is the inerrant Word of God. Anything else other than that is never assumed is inerrant whatsoever. And it is fallible, even prophecy. Listen to what he says in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual He should acknowledge that the things I, Paul, as an apostle, am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone, even those guys who have the gift of prophecy, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. The word of the apostles and the prophets in the Old Testament, is the measuring rod of all truth for the church. Not people's feelings concerning prophecy, or speaking in tongues, or music, or feeling, or sway, or anything else. It's not that those things don't happen in their fallible way. I had a great question at home group. What about, you ever get an impression that in God, yeah, I think God does that. I certainly do. Don't ever come close, though, and he does it, and he's done it in my life. But don't ever put those experiences on a par with the objective truth of God's Word. We can always misinterpret those things and mess those things up. There's a huge difference. The measuring rod of all inerrant, infallible truth is the Holy Scripture. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Paul's not here now to correct us on spiritual gifts. He's dead. All the apostles are dead. All we have is what they left us and wrote. And that's exactly how God wanted it. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit was up to in carrying along, having it recorded what He knows we need, and we have it all. Even Peter recognized Paul in his writings when he wrote in 2 Peter, the same book, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Listen to what Peter, during Paul's lifetime, and wrote. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now listen to the Apostle Peter. Yeah, you've got to work at it sometimes, okay? There are some things in them, Paul's letters, that are hard to understand. Duh. Work at it. That they're hard to understand. Which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. What do you mean other Scriptures, Peter? He seemed to put it up against Moses. The Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, is the Word of God. It's been authored by God the Holy 
Spirit. He did, past tense, His work. He accomplished. Not is accomplishing it. It has been done as one of the last books of the New Testament tell us. Jude. It has been once and for all delivered to the church. That is the faith, the content, the doctrine of Christianity. It's been given. It's done. It's over with. So when we say that the Holy Spirit of God authored the 66 books here, that it's the Word of God, it's the Word of God that comes through men, through their particular language conventions, you need to pay attention and understand and with them you know, how one communicates and therefore you get meaning. That Word of God is outside of you. It existed before any of us were born. Genesis through Revelation was just laying there somewhere in a hospital or a house where you were born. It exists in the world objectively. The Bible does not become the Word of God because your eyes are open to it. Oh, now it's the Word of God. No, it's the Word of God, whether you believe it, submit to it, or changed by it, or not. The words on the pages of this book, or 66 books that we call the Bible, the words, with grammar, you need to pay attention to, with verbs and nouns, that make propositions and larger paragraphs. What the human authors, like Paul or Peter or Moses or Jeremiah and his prophecy, what they intended, and they, like you, okay, they're normal people, they intend to say something. They do it either well or not so well. Well, we do that. They did it well. <laughs> what they intended, it's laying in the Scripture. The Holy Spirit's job is not to try to tell you the secret meaning behind the words. The words mean what they say. Just read them carefully. The Holy Spirit will not contradict Himself. He will not tell you that text means something that it did not originally mean when Paul wrote it. Did you know Jesus prayed for you if you were a believer? This is, I want, this can just fly over us and not be stunning at all, but listen to what he prayed in the high priestly prayer of John 17 in verse 20. He says, Father, I do not ask for these, meaning my apostles, the revelatory spokesman. Let's just say, the apostles are Jesus' pen, and he pens it with him. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for St. Augustine, for Martin Luther, for Joe LeMay, for Sean Rice. I also ask for those who will believe in me through these apostles around the table with me, through their word. Stunning. The point of this week's sermon is to show that a foundational, central work in 
role of God the Holy Spirit is authoring Scripture. Is speaking the revealed Word of God once and for all. Giving it to us in writing in a book, a human language. It's done. It's accomplished. It's over with. And this means that the truth of God and of salvation and the truth of church and everything else that is delivered to us here is without error. It is flawless in its original manuscripts and its objective, whether anyone ever believes it. I'm going to go back to one text real quickly. I know it's getting late, but hear this. Listen now, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you Thessalonian Christians received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. Now notice in verse 13, two words. The word received and accepted. There are two different words in English, there are two different words in Greek, and they do not mean the same thing in this text. So what does it mean, first of all, to receive the Word of God in this text? He says, you received the Word. It means that the truth about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and its implications and meanings that Paul brought to them and spoke to them in the preaching of it, it means... That objective truth that came to you. It means, in other words, the package by the UPS guy arrived on your doorstep. You received it. You signed off on it. There it is. Okay? Now, he's writing to whom? To those who came to believe. Okay, that's the church at Thessalonica. So he's writing to Christians. But those people were not the only ones there when Paul brought the package. There were others there too who were not in the church and they also received it. They, the Word of God came to them objectively and ultimately they said, phooey on that. Don't want it. But they received it. The package was outside them. It was the Word of God to them. The Word of God is objective. It can be received and it can be rejected. Now notice the other word though. Accepted. Not only did the believers receive the package, they accepted it. That means they welcomed it. They embraced it. They were changed by it. Millions upon millions upon millions of persons on Judgment Day will be separated from the sheep. Even though they were recipients of the Word of God. Even though they may have read it many times. Even though they have heard that very objective word in Scripture proclaimed in the midst of the church through preaching. Because they did not accept it into their heart to be saved by it. Last week we began this series on the Holy Spirit with First question, who is the Holy Spirit? He is God, the third person of the Holy Trinity. The next logical question is, and this is hierarchical of importance, how does God, through the, through the person of the Holy Spirit, communicate to us creatures? 
What is his task? And that's why this is the second sermon. Because it is through the Bible. It's through the objective words that lay on the pages of Scripture that need to be deciphered through reading well. That is how God, the Holy Spirit, speaks authoritatively and conclusively. And because of that, oh, how important it is to treat Him. You don't separate a person from the words, and you know that's true. When you have a friend you thought was a friend, looks at you and says, I don't trust you in what you say. You know your words are you. How important it is to treat God, the Holy Spirit, with respect. Listen carefully. and Don't attribute meaning as best we can and, and pray God help me see and read well the Holy Scripture. No wonder James, the Apostle, Jesus' brother, warns not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Because you know that we who teach, who take the Holy Spirit's Word and attempt to say it means this or that, we who teach will be judged with greater Strictness. See, if it's true that every jot and tittle, every verb, every subject, every prepositional phrase, every therefore, every in order that, every because of this connected to that, if it's true that all of that is the verbally inspired Word of God, oh, how we ought to slow down. Be careful. Particularly people like me. Pastors who say, open the text. Stand up for an hour and say, Thus saith the Lord in the text. Do you see it? It's one of the reasons why I think it's so crucial for pastors to not only say the Bible and what it says, but to show the people the best we can how I'm coming to that conclusion. Look at your text. This is God the Holy Spirit speaking. And it's a sad thing that so many of us American evangelicals, I've been a Christian 32 years, I say from experience, we just yearn, oh, if I can only get a word from God. God, if only the Holy Spirit through a person or just through me in some miraculous way would speak or confirm, please give. Read Ephesians. I know, I know, I come. See, we don't know yet. You know, Jesus is going to go on to tell a story when we get back into Luke in chapter 16. You know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is poor. The rich guy just ignored him. Both Jews. He's a, the rich guy's been ignoring Moses, the books of Moses, the Bible in his life. He dies. And of course, Lazarus dies. Jesus says there's this vision. Lazarus is enjoying the glories of God. In Abraham's bosom, the rich man is suffering in torment. And so Jesus gives us a picture of what's happening. And the guy says, oh no, it's, I, it's, I, I was so blinded to Moses, to the Bible, while I was alive. But okay, i got a brother still living. Abraham, please send Lazarus back from the dead. Let him rise from the dead. 
That will just freak my brother out and he will repent and start paying attention to the Bible. Here's how Jesus concludes it. But Abraham said, they have Moses. That means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Other men no, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Jesus says, that Abraham said, if they do not hear Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, nor the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Do you want to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you? Read the Bible. Absorb Scripture. Memorize significant text for your life right now. Feed upon this book and hearing it preached and absorbing it with your eyes in the morning. Let the Holy Spirit who's authored the book tangibly break your heart to accept it and be hungry for it and implant it into your soul. We have in this book a more sure word than visions than a prophecy than dreams I have no problem saying this because I have Bible on it we have a more sure word than if God actually and truly audibly spoke to you tomorrow morning we have the Holy Spirit speaking clearly to us on the pages of Scripture. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It will, if you let it, judge you. Your thoughts, your intentions, convict you, bring you back to repentance and draw you to God. His Word will not return empty. It will always accomplish that for which it is sent. Come on up, Alex. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis? Then fill yourself with the Holy Spirit's words. His words are to be desired more than gold. More than much fine gold. And His words, they truly are. They might not be to you tomorrow morning experientially. That's We're going to get to those works of the Holy Spirit later. We need to cry out. They truly are sweeter than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. Let's pour out our hearts now in repentance, in yearning. God, make me more and more hungry for the glorious, wonderful gift of Your Word. Cause my mind to learn to read and to think through the words of the Holy Spirit better and better and cause my heart to embrace them and be changed by them to the glory of His Word.